we, we've been doing this series, and like I said, Peyton's been giving me some really wonderful topics, um, and today he's just really outdid himself. I'm dealing with hell. Uh, so that is a problem a lot of people have, isn't it? Let me give you a quote from a very famous sermon. It says, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful and venomous serpent is in ours. That's a sermon from July the 8th, 1741, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's this type of thing, I think, that is the reason some people struggle with this idea of this loving God, right? And, and I don't think it's just Christians. I, I mean, non-Christians, I think we Christians, we struggle with this too, that God would create a, a, this place of torment. Many of you were brought up hearing lessons describing the horrors of hell, and, and you probably remember it ending sometimes like, if you were to die... On your way home today from church in a car wreck, where would you spend eternity? It's pretty good, wasn't it? I remember, um, I remember growing up, and there was a church the very next town, and they had the thing called Hell House. Anybody ever heard of this? Okay, so a Hell House, um, you see these ever so often. Maybe these are Alabama things. Um, it sounds like an Alabama thing, but it, they'd always have it during time of Halloween and it was like a Christian haunted house. And so you go in and they have these scenes depicting various types of sin. And then here's the consequences of what that person's done. And now, and they'll even show you the torment of hell. And then you come out and there's, they'll tell you if you don't repent and, and turn to Jesus you will be condemned. And the idea is that fear motivates people to a long-lasting faith in Christ, and studies show that it really doesn't. It's not that fear can't motivate us, but presentations like these sometimes elevates fear as the primary and exclusive reason for following Jesus. But hell is real. And it is something we have to be, has to be taught. Even if it's something that we find offensive. And if we want to understand hell, believe it or not, the place we look is to look to the teachings of Jesus. And that surprises a lot of people. They're like, no, 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 no. You're thinking of that Old Testament God, the God that's always angry and punishing people, right? Jesus is the one, he's all about love and mercy and forgiveness. Well, first of all, it's because we don't read our Old Testaments enough. And because the first thing that we learn about God is he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in his hesed, the steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin. He is compared to a husband who extends mercy after mercy to his unfaithful wife. 
Yes, Jesus speaks of love and grace and mercy over and over again, but he also hammers the idea of judgment of God more than any Old Testament prophet. And he even says, I'm going to be the one who's going to judge the world. Most of our understanding of hell, believe it or not, it comes from Christ. It doesn't come from the Old Testament. 13% of his teachings, 50% of his parables are about hell, judgment, punishment, and the wrath of God. So if you want to get rid of hell, you have to get rid of Jesus. It is a New Testament Jesus-driven teaching. Let's just look at a couple of places. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Here is this, this parable that Jesus gives about a king who is going to throw this wedding reception, this, this big wedding feast. And, and, and so he sends out this invitation, uh, this thing is coming, and then, and then as the day arrives, he, he sends them out a second time to tell them, hey, it's time for the feast, but, but the people said they ignored him and they, they didn't come. So send them out a third time, and, and he told them, listen, the feast is ready, come. And this time, we learned that, that they, they would um, torture some of the servants. They even killed some of them. And so in verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. In that culture, two invitations is all that was required for, for a wedding feast. If you notice there, he sent them out three times because God wants us at the eternal feast. But then something happens at the feast that's really interesting. And this guy knew better. But verse 11, but when the king came to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. They're given garments, by the way. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. Now, understand this is a parable. It's a made-up story to help us to learn, to teach us something. There's not going to be the fashion police at the gates of heaven, uh, if you will, and to say, you know, mm, I don't think you've got on the proper attire. I'm sorry, you're going to have to go downstairs. That's not how this works. That's not what this is about. It's, about. it's about teaching us something. What is it it's trying to teach us? One thing is that hell means exclusion. He says to be cast out. He is there, God's kingdom is a place of celebration for welcome guests. And, and those who are not, they are not allowed to be with, with, the, um, with the guests, they're with the host or the guests. They're isolated. They're shut out. Hell is also darkness. Did you get that? Light in Scripture is often a metaphor for truth and knowledge. So darkness implies the opposite. It means being in the dark forever, not knowing God or anything or anyone that really matters. 
And then we notice that hell involves anguish. There's weeping, that sadness, the gnashing of teeth, that's frustration. And those two things uh, together, it implies regret. And there's nothing at all that you can do about it at that moment. Go to Revelation chapter 20. We'll look at one more. Revelation chapter 20 is the great judgment scene. And here, beginning in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The death, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And everyone's name who's not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Fire is a metaphor in Scripture. It describes hell. Medieval artists and revivalist preachers, they often painted these terrifying pictures of people being roasted in fiery pits. Many of you have heard or read Dante's Inferno, right? He believed there are these nine levels of hell. But Jesus is trying to help us to understand something that we can't understand on our own because hell is of another realm. So he tries to describe something in our world to help us kind of get more of an idea of what this eternal place is going to be like. Things that are unfamiliar. So, so we do that a lot. For example, you ever heard love is a rose? Well, it doesn't mean love is a plant. <laughs> it means love is beautiful, it's delicate, but also be careful of the thorns. And so when he uses fire as a metaphor, he's speaking of something that we can relate to to try to help us understand. For example, hell is frightening. Can you think of anything as terrifying as, as being burned up? Hell is a place that is painful. Being burned is one of the most painful injuries that you can incur whether it will be a physical or spiritual pain, or whether it will be both, I don't know. What we're to get from this is simply that this is a painful place. The other thing we learn is that hell consumes. One of the most common words used of hell in the Bible is the word, in the New Testament rather, is the word Gehenna. It is, it is a reference to a valley that is right outside of Jerusalem. It's where garbage was dumped and burned. It became a metaphor for a place of evil and evildoers. Some of you have, have heard of Marilyn Manson, just a despicable guy. He's a leader of a heavy metal band. His real name is Brian Warner. He was raised in a Christian school, Christian family, but he rejected all of that, and he made a name for himself with music that's dark, is violent, Sometimes it could even be satanic in its undertones. And one time he said of hell and laughing, he says, I'm going to say I would probably be more comfortable, it would be a more comfortable place for me because everyone I know would be there. I really wouldn't be allowed to do anything in heaven that would be any fun. What an absolute 
ignorant point of view. There will be no fun. It will not be a place that you will enjoy with other people. No one there will be comfortable. God is the source of all good things. Hell is the absence of God, so all good things will not be there. Things that maybe even in in connotation what we think of, things like beautiful sunsets or a companionship of a spouse or a friend, maybe intellectual challenge or or laughing at a good story, those things, they, they will not be there. But the real question I think most people ask is why? Why is hell necessary? Why not just let people die and then they're dead and be done with it? That's a good question, but I think there are some good answers. And the first thing is this, because human dignity demands it. If there is no life beyond this one and no accountability for our actions, then what is the purpose of living? We are, we are no more than just animals. It's the way animals exist. I don't think we believe that's what we are. Another thing is because justice demands it. There is a universal sense of right and wrong. And we all agree that wrong must be punished. Evil must be judged. After 9-11, they found out that the people who believed in the existence of hell had grown from 64% to 71%. Why? Because all of a sudden there's this moral outrage for justice. If we were to leave our Western world and we learn about many of the, the things happening in other places, you'll see they have a stronger sense of God's justice than even we do. They see evil and and they wonder how God could be just if there isn't divine judgment. Villages in Africa and Middle East, India and China, innocent people are raped, killed, tortured, murdered every single day. Every time there is a school shooting in this country, and again, we just had one in St. Louis, what happens? Families, communities, they cry out for justice. Why? Because we have that sense of justice within us. And it may not make us comfortable, but we absolutely understand it. But the problem is, most of us, I think, we believe in hell. And I think most people out there believe in hell, but they just think everybody, the other people are going and not them. Because they feel like, hey, you know, I'm not a terrorist, I'm not a murderer or a pedophile. You know, I should be fine. But the Bible tells us something very humbling. It says all of us are bad. It doesn't mean we're always bad. It doesn't mean we're, not a, we're as bad as we could be. But we consistently sin against God and against others. We may not think that we deserve eternal separation from God, but we're talking about a holy God and a holy place. And if we go in with, with, with all of these sinful things that we feel like are not important, that what are we going to do to heaven? Look at Noah and his family. What happened when they came off the ark? The earth has been completely renewed. Ever, all of evil has been wiped out, and it's not long, and they continue on. 
Hell is for those who have violated God's good and perfect will revealed in the Bible and it's written on the heart. Here's another one. Because love demands it. God loves us enough, so much really, that he does not make us love him. And we all know, being here in the human race, you can't make people love you. You can, you can do everything you can and, and try to have them love you, but you can't make them. If one of your kids, you know, they finally, they've reached the point, they could, they could leave the home, and they, and they say, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with any of y'all anymore, and they go to the West Coast. What are you going to do? You can write letters telling them how much you love them. You could send them money, help them get on their feet. You could go out and, and visit, right? You could plead with them to come home. Some may say, well, you, you know, you can tackle them and tie them up and drag them all the way back home. But that's not love, is it? And that's not how God works. Here's the answer to those who ask the question. How can a good God send people to hell? And the answer to that question is this. He doesn't. But he will let people go there if they choose. Hell is an eternal tor- it is not an eternal, eternal torture chamber that God has set up to punish people he doesn't like. It's a place where God isn't. People who don't want to spend eternity with him, they don't have to. And you may say, who in the world would want to go to hell instead of heaven? Who would make that kind of choice? And, the, and, and we do it every day. People are out there, they do it every day. They live in darkness and isolation and, and stubborn denial of their need for God. We tend to think, listen, as long as I'm a good person, I'm, I'm going to get in. It's people like Hitler, you know, they're going to rot in hell, but not, not me. But the Bible tells us a very different story. On the night of Jesus' arrest, he goes to He goes to the Mount of Olives to pray, and he is distressed about the cross that is coming. Is it because Jesus is afraid of dying? Is that the problem? No, it's much more than that. He talked about removing this cup. That is an Old Testament metaphor that often speaks of the judgment of God. That's where he was going, is to drink of the cup of the judgment that is placed upon all humanity for their sinfulness. Jesus begs for that cup to pass from him. This is the height of injustice, isn't it? But God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us He calls out for humanity to come to him. He calls for them so he can save them. Heaven, folks, it is is the prodigal son come home. It is the bride being embraced by her husband with tears of joy. It is the new heavens and the new earth with these upgraded resurrection, resurrection bodies that will experience things that we can't even imagine. 
Hell is the opposite, though. It is the door that is shut in the face of the prodigal son. It is the divorce certificate delivered in the moment of remorse. It is the criminal receiving his just deserts. If Jesus is the light of the world, then the loss of him means darkness. If he is the good shepherd, then the loss of him means that we're wandering alone and lost. If he is the resurrection and the life, then the loss of him means eternal death. If Jesus is the Lamb of God that is sacrificed for our sins, then the loss of him means that we are the ones who are going to drink the cup. We chose to drink our own cup of judgment. But it's our choice. Now, it's easy to reject Jesus now, but one day we're going to see him in all of his glory, and we're going to know at that moment that everything that we thought that we treasured is insignificant. If Jesus, we, we know in that moment that we made a wrong decision, we must choose now in this life where we want to spend eternity, whether we want to spend it with God or whether we want to spend it without Him. He says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in in the Father's divine offer of eternal life. It leads to a life of repentance, of, of moving away from this old life into this new one. Our baptism, folks, listen, baptism, why it's so important, why we immerse, folks, is because it tells us, it's, it puts us right in connection with what Jesus has done for us. We, we, we die to ourselves. We bury that old life and we rise up and we walk in a resurrected new life. And the Spirit of God comes in us and dwells in us in that moment to help us to overcome these sins that we struggle with. And we're still going to have struggles. But we've, we are empowered in a way that we've never been empowered before. And we're living a way that is a life that is pleasing to God and not pleasing to ourselves. A lot of times people say, but what are the, those who haven't heard about Jesus? The simple answer is, it's the only way that God has revealed in the Bible. Is it possible someplace, some jungle, somewhere that this per person has a sense of God and they, 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 they put their trust in them? They don't know Jesus, never heard of Jesus, and, and, and God would save them. It's possible. But God hasn't told us specifically, has he? If you're working in a hospital and all of a sudden a fire breaks out, you know where the fire exit is supposed to be. You know how to get out safe. But you could say, listen, there must be another way, a back way out of this hospital that they haven't told us about, down a stairwell that, that you know, we could get out. And, and you could even decide, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go see if there, I can find another fire exit somewhere that I just don't know about, that I think might be closer, might be easier. But you're putting yourself and you're putting all those patients that you're in charge of in danger. The only sensible thing to do would be to head towards the exit that you know and tell as many people as possible. 
If there are other ways to get to heaven aside from turning to Christ, we haven't been told, but the only sensible thing to do in light of eternity is to call on the name of the Lord and urge as many people as possible to do the same. Ultimately, only God knows who will go to heaven and why. And we can trust in his love and mercy and justice to do what's right. There may be some who you, you, you're thinking about something. I, listen, I don't want this to be, I don't want you to react on fear. I want you to react on the love of Christ. I want you to really think about what, what you've read here, what you've seen. I want that to make an impact in your life. And if you're ready in some sense, come talk to us. Let's sit down. Let's, let's open our Bibles. Let's just, let's just put it all out there for what it is. Because you know what? Only God knows the way out. And I just want to tell as many people as possible... Growth track is a wonderful thing to go through to kind of help you get into that. That starts next week if you've never gone through that. But, but I also don't want you to have to wait either. You can let Peyton and I know there may be some people in this church that you know that you love and you say that person, they seem like a person who loves Jesus. You talk to that person about Jesus because that's what's important. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice, this great gift that has been given to us, that we do not have to, to, we, we do not have to, to, to be a part of this e- eternal punishment, this judgment that is coming. Father, we don't even understand it all. I just know, Father, it's a place we don't want to be, but more importantly, Father, you are the one that we want to be with. Father, just be with those who, their hearts right now, they are searching, they've got a lot of questions, they've got some things in their minds right now, just help us to help them in whatever ways, Father, just, just be with them. Help us, Father, to be aware of those who, who, may, who may be seeking you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.